This is a Baby Brunch podcast. Again, I always tell the parents that they really have to jump up and down, shout, asking, begging me to take those tonsils out. Um, it does, again, change their lives if they really need it. But the vast majority, I will try and leave those tonsils alone. This podcast is supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. The range of Epimax Baby and Junior gentle all-purpose emollients moisturizers is an all-day, everyday favorite for babies and children. Give your child a good start to every day by nourishing and protecting their skin with Epimax. I am the luckiest person in the whole world because I get to talk to loads of people and then I get to show you who exactly they are. So a big thanks to my technical team in the room, uh, to everyone supporting Parents and Baby Brunch. And then a big thanks to our ENT, our, our pediatric ear, nose and throat specialist that's joining us today. She's a mom and she's phenomenal. Her name is Dr. Ali Makepeace. Thanks so much for joining us on Parenting Baby Brunch. Thanks very much for having me. Do you do you find as an ear, nose and throat specialist that people immediately ask you for advice when they hear what you do? Don't they come to you with their problems? Absolutely. What's the most, Everywhere. <laughs> what's the most common problem moms and dads approach you with? Snotty noses and mm. uh, children who don't sleep. And children who don't eat well. Are they, are, they, are they related? Yes. Really? They're all related. Okay, now you've got my attention. <laughs> How are they related? Snotty noses, so runny noses, children who don't sleep and children who don't eat. So particularly not just a snotty nose, but particularly children who always have a snotty nose and who snore. Um, those children, they have disrupted sleep cycles, so they tend to wake up often. Um, they get thirsty um, and in severe cases they can develop sleep apneas and that will um, interrupt the, the entire lifestyle because they're exhausted all the time. Um, and the children who have completely blocked noses, they'll always choose to breathe rather than to eat. Mm. So they take very long times to eat. They eat very little bites. Often it'll be associated with texture problems in their mouths. So yeah, they all are related to the nose um, because if they can't breathe through their nose, then they can't do anything that typically would be normal for children. Uh, uh, runny noses, uh, which is better, yellow or green snot, gunk, glue? So um, it's a bit of an old wives' tale in terms of the what colour the snot is, in terms of what it means. Um, allergic snot is watery clear. Um, any other colour is some kind of infection or, or a chronic. So um, I know preschools always used to say if they if they're not as coloured, it means it's infectious and they can't come to school. That's not always true. So um, yeah, it's not the 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 clear runny noses that would be more allergic based, and then that would 100% be medically managed. But that's not infectious. Um, the the thicker yummy yummy. <laughs> That is, mm. that would need a little bit more intervention. Yeah, and you can imagine I deal with a lot of snot every day. Uh, nose feeders and all those nose back things and things that you stick in your nose to suck out the gooeyness and the snottiness, is it good or bad? I don't recommend them. What? No. <laughs> they call, cause microtrauma in the nose. Um, 
it's the same kind of thing as trying to get something out of nose or an ear. If you can't see properly and you don't have the right tools, you can cause damage. So I don't recommend them. I know there are desperate times, but what I do recommend is flushing the nose. The the one the, the that bottle. you yes yeah okay and you can do that as long as you can get your child to cooperate, which yeah. is always the difficult thing. Oh, they do. They fight. Mine cooperates because they know oh, what good. it can do. Yeah. So mine do too, but my, mm. old, my kids are older. My, older, yeah. the, my son will come and ask me because as much as he can blow his nose, he's 10, he can try and blow his nose. Sometimes it just gets stuck and he will bring the bottle to me and ask me and say, can you please, please can you just nose? flush it out? Okay. And yeah, the, the last time that I did it on him, I nearly threw up to see, see what came out of his nose. I love, you know those pumple, pimple popping videos yes. uh, that they have on social media? I, I don't watch those. I love seeing gunk kind of my children's mm. noses. Mm. Oh, it's such a joy. I, I do it on the one side and we, uh, as long as I can see things coming, coming out, out, I'm like, oh, look at the health. Look at the, look at the germs flushing down the, the drain, you know? It exactly. makes me very excited. Exactly. And, a, and a, good, a good thing about that is once you've got all that's not out, when you apply the steroids then they actually penetrate into the cells. Okay, you just said the magic word because that's my next question. <laughs> Steroids. Steroids or saline? Because you see, I'm the mom that, please don't WhatsApp me or comment <laughs> on this post. Comment with nice things. I really want to get to the source of the problem and then we can maintain with other types of things that are a little bit natural. So steroids or saline? Both. Ah, okay, why? So saline is very good in terms of thinning the mucus out and the flush obviously to get everything out um, and then steroids to try and stop the production of mucus and, and decrease that congestion but if you just spray the steroids first it just sits in the snot uh, so it does nothing. And it goes hard. Hmm. So for, for moms who are new to the medicine game and ENTism, just made that <laughs> up, it sounds great. <laughs> Explain to them the difference between spraying saline and what a steroid would be considered as so what what is what would we label a steroid is it any kind of nasal spray is it is it the the nasal drop that, that we put in the noise is it a is it an over-the-counter so just give us a so let's start with saline saline spray saline spray there's a huge market there's very many names and um, that you can get any time and you can use it all the time. Okay. Um, and that's from a tiny baby until you're old. Um, the, the steroids, they can be used as maintenance in terms of if you have a very allergic child who always needs um, a maintenance, the asthma kids who need control of their nose, they you can have maintenance. Those are all prescribed. There are some steroid sprays that are that are over the counter. Their concentration is much less. Mm. So as a maintenance, that's fine. Okay, here's another quick fire: earwax. Oh, we love putting things in our ears. Mm. Oh, I love secret. I'm the worst host today because I love ENTs. <laughs> I love putting in an earbud just to see what comes out on yourself on my children on your children highly not recommended i was choking <laughs> okay i'm not but um why so the ears are in fact self-cleaning they have little hair cells that are in the ear canal that beats in a specific fashion and all the the way that the 
the skin in the ear canal is shed is with on those hair cells. When you stick things in, you break those hair cells and you push everything deeper in. Does it grow back, the hair cells? Well, when you when in the children, yes. Okay. But once you get older, then no. And then you <laughs> get stuck with earwax forever. And then have to come visit me often so I can flush it out for you. <laughs> so is, is, the, is the notion of earwax good or bad? Earwax is normal. What if you can see it on the outer? You can take it out if you can see it. If you can wipe it with a face cloth on the outside, no problem. That's okay. But it'll fall out. Okay. And swimming then. is good for it. Bathing and lying underwater, that's all good for it. Do we wear earplugs when we swim? No. Why not? It does the same thing. It doesn't allow it to go, come out. And all the sensation, the sensory things, um, complaining about pain in the ears when they're swimming, isn't, it shouldn't be happening. And it's a sensory problem. So the more you expose the ears to the water, they get used to it. It stops happening. Goggles on eyes for swimming? Mm, it's a little bit different because then they get very sore eyes afterwards. Mm. Um, but they shouldn't have to swim with goggles either. I think all the swim schools also, they'll allow them to start with goggles, but they eventually... This interview has just, <laughs> it's off the paper. I'm, I'm guilty. I should go to your mom jail, man. No. You go with what you think is good for them. But Says no. the mom who has her own ENT. I mean, I've got three in the country because I speak for a living. <laughs> okay. The best one is in Cape Town in Tigerberg Hospital, in a government hospital, actually. I see Dr. Atwood, okay. and I, I had such a good experience from him, and it was free. So to all of our moms who are listening to this that feels that uh, medical care could be expensive, you have no idea how well run our government facilities in South Africa are run by uh, when you go to an ear, nose and throat specialist. So don't forget about them. Um, go and see them. Also see Dr. Ali uh, Makepeace. I'm not done with you. You're staying right where you are. Okay, so tonsillectomy, is it just me? <clears throat> or has it become more common for us to say, ah, oh, tonsillitis, you know, let's remove them. When we were children, I think I was the only one in the class who didn't have a tonsillectomy. You'd go in and see an ENT and you'd come back with grommets, tonsils out, adenoids out. <laughs> and and what happened subse subsequent to that is that we saw a lot of complications post-tonsillectomies. Mm -hmm. So we we pulled back. Okay. Um, and we, we definitely don't do as many tonsillectomies as, as in the past. Um, again, I always tell the parents that they really have to jump up and down, shout, asking, begging me to take those tonsils out. Um, it does, again, change their lives if they really need it. But the vast majority, I will try and leave those tonsils alone. Tonsillectomy, what is considered as tonsils that need to get out? Um, the children who are having full-blown tonsillitis, bacterial tonsillitis requiring antibiotics, International guidelines say seven times or more in, in a year or five times or more for two consecutive years. In terms of other symptoms, any obstructive symptoms, so the children who are snoring significantly, mm -hmm. having any kind of sleep disturbance or sleep apneas, um, those children, they are children who um, have eating problems in terms of they're vomiting all the time, they choke a lot, and, and then those tonsils are really, really big. Those are the children that I would consider. They're not a cut and dry. But every child is 
I see them individually, case by case, and look at, again, at a whole. How much school are they missing? How is it impacting their sleep? How is it impacting their daily lives, their eating, and the, the family in mm. general? So, the, But they really do. For a, t- for a tonsillectomy, they have to jump up and down. Adenoids, why are we removing it? So... The younger children, because it's the same, it's the same tissue as tonsils, and then when where it grows, that little postnasal space, what we call it, where it grows, it can block the whole back of their nose, and it's directly linked to the ear because it, the ears drain to that area as well. So if they are, grow over the outflow tract of the of the middle ear, then they can be primarily the cause of all the ear infections. Grommet insertion. I know of two babies who now are in speech therapy because they couldn't hear as children. And their mommies wishes that they had grommet sooner, but we didn't know that that is, at the time, that that is what could help our children. So how do we know if a child needs grommets? Um, again, these children usually get referred to me when they are when they've been seen by the pediatrician for a while. Um, If they've had recurrent ear infections, so three or four in a year, often they happen persistently or recurrently after each other, sort of two weeks apart. And then after that, that ear infection has cleared, the fluid that's in the middle ear, that also needs to clear for that eardrum to be able to to vibrate to transfer those sound waves. So we usually give it about eight weeks after the last ear infection. If they go those eight weeks without um, an actual ear infection and then that fluid is still sitting there, they develop what we call a glue ear. Mm. So that glue ear is essentially thick mucus that just gets stuck there and you can imagine that the sound waves can't transfer through there. And then if there's any kind of speech delay or if they know that there's hearing problems, then we tend to be a little bit quicker to jump into grommets to allow them to hear as best as mm-hmm. possible. Speaking of that, I mean, how closely do you work with the speech therapist? Is that part of the ENT journey or do you refer us or do the pediatrician refer us? It goes both ways. Okay. Um, well, all three ways. Mm. I work very, very closely with the with the speech therapists right. and the audiologists. I get referrals from them. I refer to them. Mm. It all depends on a lot of the time they will have sort of a screening, the screening hearing test at the schools, and then they pick up that they need to see, and they will then refer to an ENT, where then they come to me, and then I'll refer them back afterwards to be reevaluated. Mm. Um, but the speech therapists are not only for just the speech they mm. they work a lot with the, the feeding and the swallowing so even from the tiny little prim ones the oh. speech therapist and I work very closely in terms of getting them feeding getting them breathing nicely okay. babies and heartburn i mean is that an issue when when it comes to your your waiting room literally i mean do 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 babies suffer heartburn enough that it can affect um, their sinuses or their speech or their throats or their their nasal passages? Absolutely. Um, Typically, we wouldn't know if they're actually having heartburn, Mm. um, but they have the reflux symptoms, Mm. those sort of colicky babies, the poor feeders, or sometimes they guzzlers Mm. and they eat all the time and they become huge and then they overfeed and they vomit. And Mm. so the, the refluxy babies, those they 
always have sore throats and they feed poorly because of that. Some of them soothe with milk and some of them refuse milk. Mm. So it's a bit of a catch-22, but they get inflammation in their throats. Often they'll be referred to me because they start having very, very noisy breathing, both from a voice box perspective, but the tiny little neonates that have this snotty nose the whole time, very mm. congested, which then impacts their feeding. Mm. They often get referred to me and I'll often determine that they are refluxy babies. So the reflux, the acid will go all the way up to the back of their nose. It causes that congestion. It causes them sore throats, it, even up into the ears, causes them to have middle ear effusions a lot. So definitely I see those babies a lot. And often what happens is that I'll see them when they're little, little babies with poor feeding and mm. poor breathing or noisy breathing. I then see them when they get to about a year because they've got big adenoids and recurrent ear infections. Mm. And then I see them when they're sort of three or four because then they get the tonsillitis. Oh, the journey so continues. They, so they stay with you. They stay with you <laughs> the whole way through. Now, I mean, my, my passion is babies. Just having you here and having you speak, it, it feels like you're giving me a diagnosis. You know, <laughs> almost traumatized that my baby has got all these things. But I do think of, of our children with head and, and neck abnormalities. And so... What what would be the diagnosis? Why would they come and see you if that's the case? With the abnormalities? Yeah. Um, so the babies who've got things like cleft palates, mm. um, I don't operate in the cleft palates, but because of how those that eustachian tube, the mm. drainage pathway from the middle ear, um, how those muscles attach onto the palate directly, relates to their ears. Mm -hmm. So the cleft babies, we will often put grommets in very early because they have no drainage of those middle ears. Mm. Um, then you get lymphatic malformations. Um, I have a handful of babies who've got hemangiomas, which is actually a, a vascular growth, which is inside the um, uh, the airway. Um, and it's, it's a benign, but it's a tumor and it's, sort of impacts on how they breathe and how they feed. Um, they, they'll come to me really struggling. Um, and then I've got a little camera which I can put in and then I've seen it there. Um, it's a medical treatment, which is a new thing as well, which is great. Um, and yeah, those I've got a little handful of them that I watch very carefully. Um, so they've all been doing well, but they do come in struggling with, with a lot of um, airway problems and feeding problems. Our cleft babies um, have got a special place, particularly in my heart. So uh, Smile Foundation, I hope that you're listening. I'm going to tag you guys in this post just so that you can see uh, how there's so many people out there that's trying to make a difference with, uh, together with you uh, and that there's experts in South Africa that um, uh, that works with our babies to try and bring a smile back. They, they have a big portion and part of my heart. So uh, a big shout out to all of you. Hello. The transformation is real. Hey, guys. Um <clears throat> Winter season is upon us. Yay. Uh, what's the most common misdiagnosis? When, when they come to you and there's been a runny nose, what, wh why did they end up with you in the first place? Surely our Pete could have just given us some medicine. Um, it would probably be that they're not getting all that mucus out, like we were talked about with the flush. So any kind of medication that they have been given is the correct medication, but it won't work because it just comes out with a snot. Um, it's very typical, typically the, the viral um, infections that happen, the schools, the creches, they 
they usually are the viral causes. And then they also have lice in our school. Yes. Not do. in their hair, but on the floor. <laughs> my kids are coming home with bites on their bodies, and I'm like, this is not my dog. Okay. <laughs> so that's the um, so the misdiagnosis would likely be that it's an acute tonsillitis, or and that they get antibiotics thrown at them. Mm, mm. Um, I'd say that most of the time it's not necessary to give the antibiotics. Wow. Antibiotics, yes or no? When is necessary. When is that? So if they have a diagnosed ear infection, when there is pus there, um, tonsillitis, when there is pus there, those are bacterial. Mm, mm. Um, Obviously, we can make that diagnosis on a swab, but it's not always necessary. Clinically, you can see. Um, If there's no pus, and the children are often, the children I see that are well, they're not feverish, they're well in themselves, but they pouring snottiness mm. it's not an immediate let's try antibiotics but the, the family wants to go on holiday mm. I'm, I'm zooking family wants to go on holiday will it will it help sometimes it does but it usually comes back straight away afterwards Oof. okay there's a different class of antibiotics that we can give long-term antibiotics that's for more kind of more boosting the immune system it's got an anti-inflammatory side effect so it's not that there's no place for antibiotics. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's not always necessary. So when when do we bring our babies to the peat? When when what is the warning sign? Give me five warning signs. The very little babies. Yes. Um. If you've had had a baby who stops breathing and turns blue, <laughs> and it happens, um, that's a clear warning sign. And those babies should be brought in straight away. Um, if there's any, if they if they're refusing to feed, so if they're eating and drinking okay, and then suddenly they go off everything. Um, obviously, they won't be eating if they're tiny, but if they go off their milk, if they if they just crying and crying and crying, those are those. It is a warning sign. Um, when they're older, if they've had a decent sleeping pattern before. Not meaning they must sleep all the way through the night, but if they're having a long stretch and then waking up more frequently, that's okay. If they're sleeping 45 minutes and waking up every 45 minutes, that's also a warning sign. If they're failing to put on weight, um, that's likely indicating that they're using up their calories for something else, so then they won't grow. Um, If they persistently vomit, if if you feel like they're vomiting up every single full meal, they're obviously then going to not put on weight. Um, and the noisy breathing, it can be snoring, but there's a typical, typically what we call strado, which is a very high-pitched, and that comes from the voice box. And that is an indication that there's some kind of obstruction. Mm. There's lots of causes for it, so we just want to um, try and exclude the dangerous ones. Sometimes it is just reflux and there's a bit of swelling and we can control it with changing in milk or positions um, but we need to exclude that there isn't any of the any uh, the, the more serious dangerous kind of obstructions those are the warning signs hmm. what about that wet cough that <coughs> that that it's it's one that I commonly hear when I'm traveling is it as is it as bad as I'm where am I being dramatic so it's alarming because of what it sounds like. Yeah. Um, what you need to see whether you've got um, involvement in the chest. If there is, 
respiratory distress if they're breathing really, really fast, if they're tugging in sort of up here mm. or underneath their ribs. Those are those are things that it's actually the baby's really struggling. But if it's if it's a post nasal cough, it can also sound the same. So it's that that mucus is dripping from the from the nose and it's dripping down and sits above the voice box. Their bodies, as a reflex, will cough because that's what your voice box does is try to protect the lungs at all costs. So it, they'll cough, and it's this reverberation of all the mucus that's sitting there that creates that sound. But that is not too serious. When should I refuse a play date to keep my kid at home? <laughs> Very controversial topic. <laughs> oh, and I don't mean to be controversial. I'm just, I, I have a kid. I'm just telling you guys so much. I have a kid that constantly comes to our house. And thank God my kids never get sick afterwards. But she's never healthy. Mm. <laughs> because she's actually not infectious. Mm. So it's likely that she's got allergies. And yeah, she may, her body's fighting with something, but her body's fighting at all. Is so it okay not, if I blow her nose? Absolutely. Okay. Mom, I blowed. <laughs> <laughs> I wiped your child's nose. Um, you wipe her nose. I do. How old is she? Three. Okay. So you can't blow her nose? No. Because children can't really blow their noses. So how do you get it out? You just have to keep practicing. Well, I flush it out. So when they're that little, I mean, if the nose vax and all of those things are, um, if it's a problem. Saline, saline, saline. Okay. And if you can't actually douche it out with the bottle, mm. then you just spray as much as you so possibly you can. can. Okay. And, and it'll and cause him to sneeze and it'll go that's down. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We Rather want it up and, in. And, let, and let them swim. This is my own personal thing. It's but a when they swim, because when they swim, you see how yeah, their noses pour out. Starting to run. Mm. So let them swim. Take it out. But a chlorine rinse. Yeah, that's exactly. A good, that's a, I've had even allergy doctors tell me the, the nebulizer doesn't work. I love a nebulizer so much. I love a nebulizer with all my heart. I will nebulize with saline, with Dulin, <laughs> with Palmico. I will nebulize even if they're healthy. <laughs> What's the deal with nebulizers? Do they work? So home nebulizers typically don't work for chests. Because the oxygen that comes through, that is, it's not at a high, high enough power to break the particles into small enough particles um, to go into the chest. But they're very good for the nose and things like croup. Because they, they can get into the upper airways, but they don't necessarily get to the place that you want to get into the bottom. Then why are we bothering? I don't know. Doctor just shrugged. She said, I don't know. Uh, this is from my own experience. Mm -hmm. the, the pediatrician said to me, there's no point in, in nebulizing because it's not going to get into the chest. So, so in order to, to nebulize the respiratory, what do we what do we add? Just a normal uh, saline solution? If you just use a saline solution as a neb, it's, it's still going to do something mm. for the nose. Okay. What if there's an infection or yellow mucus? Can we, can we saline? Yeah, okay, absolutely. Cool. Try and get okay. it out. Try and get it it's out. It's also about viral loads. Mm. Get it out. And now, what should we keep in our medicine cabinet this winter? And I mean, uh, we, we have to see our doctors and our medical professionals, but it's so wonderful that you've, thank you, that you've made time for us to, to ask these questions because even as a mom who's dealing with a lot of babies who doesn't give advice to other moms about their baby's health, 
I've learned so much today. Good. Happy to help. Thank you. Um, Saline's the first one, if you can, douche, otherwise just a spray. Um, ACC. How much do we give? Half? Yes. Again, it's there is aspirin, which is not always a good idea for, for children, mm. um, but you can give half. Um, How old? Over the age of three. Okay. Did you all hear? Okay. And um, there's another, there's yeah. the ACC 600, which even though the number's higher, the dosage is less. Really? And the flavor is better. Huh. Can we give that to older than three? Yes. Okay, cool. What about old wives' tales? I mean, surely if we put Vicks on the chest and on their feet, it will work. So anything with eucalyptus in it, in terms of Carvel, Vicks, all of those, um, medically, scientifically, have been proven to not do anything. We need to speak to these people. However, (laughs) when you speak to the patients, they will tell you that they give some kind of relief. So I don't discourage it. If if it makes the children feel better, then you, you're welcome to use it. We'll test it. <laughs> I mean, as someone who is experienced in this field, I mean, tell us a success story to, to give us some encouragement. I mean, we both my kids have had their tonsils out. I did not enjoy seeing my two-year-old having her tonsils out. She was way too young, I feel. Um, it was a very difficult and hard operation. She's also my prem baby, so I'm extremely overprotective. So any cry from Annabelle is, is, makes my heart sore. It just breaks my heart. Um, my elders have had grommets, and we travel a lot between cities. So she does have an easier landing than the little one when we uh, fly because there's holes in her. Mm. It automatically... Yes. Equalizes. <laughs> Equalizes everything. So so we've, I, I've had a journey with ENTs and, and it's been very helpful. It's been very, very helpful. In fact, it, I think it saved my life at times. Mm. Um, what, what kind of advice do you have for our mommies and daddies? <laughs> um, so the, I have plenty of, of the parents who will come and tell me that the, their children are different children after they've had their grommets. Um, a lot of the times adenoids because they stop snoring, suddenly they're eating better, they're sleeping better. Um, a lot of the time they, the parents will come and tell me their children weren't walking mm. or talking and essentially they walk out of hospital and by the time they come back to see me for their post-op, which is about a week later, they're talking up a storm. Oh, wow. um, sometimes it's not as black and white Mm. but it does it gives me goosebumps when they come in and tell me oh they're talking so much and they can definitely hear and they better behaved because they can actually hear me and they're not frustrated they can communicate so i've got plenty of those wonderful success stories um the the tonsillectomy patients it does change their lives it does make it better but the post-operative period is very difficult Mm. Um, and I try and sit and discuss this with every patient, explaining they're going to wake up at night. They're going to cry a lot. They're not going to want to eat. But it's the most important part of a, of a recovery from a post-tonsillectomy is to eat and drink. But they're not going to want to. My rule is bribery and corruption. Whatever they can get in, <laughs> that's what you're going to get in. Some chewing, some swallowing, that's it. Once they have recovered, they do 
improve significantly. And that's from a sleep perspective, from eating and drinking, and from a general health perspective, they're definitely not as sick. And if they do get sick, which obviously I can't prevent the colds and flus and snotty noses, but they get less sick and they recover quicker. To find out more about Dr. Ali, she is tagged in this post, either on video or on our podcast. For these and many other stories, you can visit babybrunch.co.za. Doctor, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. This podcast was supported by Epimax Baby and Junior. Epimax Baby and Junior is dermatologist approved, free of artificial colorants and fragrances, and is safe to use from birth. Touch, nourish, love your child's skin with Epimax Baby and Junior. Available from leading pharmacies and retail stores.